John 14, Jesus comforts his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know that the way to the place where I am going. Jesus, the way to the Father. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father, living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Good evening. Good to see everybody here. Thank you for listening to me. I have a timer, so hopefully I won't go on too long keep an eye on things, but uh, so the verses tonight that I wanted to focus on were of John 14, and the key of all that was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, some statistics first. 151,600 individuals or people die every day. That's 6,316 every hour, 105 per minute, and two per second. On the positive side, four children are born every second, which is 250 per minute, 15,000 per hour, 360,000 every day. As an aside, that is a lot of diapers. The Census Bureau database estimates that the world population on September 19th, 2018, was 7.5 billion. So what happens with these people when they leave the world? What does the world think about this? And what does Scripture teach us? Let's first look at a short video that tells us what the world thinks. How does a person go to heaven? A person dies and goes to heaven. This world, nobody's going to heaven. I don't know, never really thought about it. How does a person get to heaven? I would like to think it's because they're a decent human being. How does a person get to heaven? Not the way I'm getting there, that's for sure. (laughs) 
That's a tough one. I don't know. Hopefully, doing the right things. <laughs> How does a person get to heaven? Actually, you don't get there because you're already there. It's already equal. Every day, you got day and you got night. So, you're in heaven and hell all the time. So, how are you going to get where you already are? How does a person get to heaven? How does a person get to heaven? I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm not religious. I'm sorry. <laughs> Heaven's inside us already. So, I don't think you get to heaven. I think that something that you just recognize inside yourself and inside other people. To heaven? Not, not the good old way of the purgatory. These days, it's like good deeds. How does a person get to heaven? I don't know that there really is one. Oh, I know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's one of the reasons you go to heaven when you work hard. You know, the easy answer is be a good Christian because I'm Christian. You could be a good Jew. You could be a good person of Islamic faith. Doesn't matter. How does a person get to heaven? Through the front door. Who opens that front door? Is ever guarding Heaven's Gate at the time that you arrive. You go right through the front door if they let you in, and if they don't let you in, turn your way and you try another day. How does a person get to Heaven? Uh, asking Jesus Christ in their heart. Wow. Anybody else watch that and just like tears? It's it's terrifying. It is. Hmm. Makes you wonder where they get their ideas, doesn't it? Let's summarize just a little bit. There may be a heaven. There may not, according to the world. Heaven is in you. I guess you just have to find it. Good deeds will get you there. There are many paths to heaven. I'm a Christian. Just pick your faith. If my good outweighs my bad, I'm going to heaven. And we've all heard that heaven is the default. I think most of us in this room know none of that is true. You know, I I think if we ask the average person that they would say that most people in the world would be considered good. They do more good than bad. At least that's the argument. They pay their bills on time. They pay their taxes. They hold doors for people. Maybe they even get up for an old person or an older person or a person with disability to sit. They don't steal. They don't murder. Some of these people are probably spiritual. They may even go to church. They should go to heaven, shouldn't they? That's what many people believe. But does that make it true? That is the question. We seem to be in a world now that is focused more on what people feel rather than what is true. And so the question you have to ask yourself. Is can someone's beliefs become truth? 
or should the truth become our beliefs? Let's say, for example, that everyone in the world tells you that two plus two equals fish. Does that make it true? I don't think so. So how do we know what is really true? Not to get too scientific here, but logic requires that there is only one objective truth for any specific claim, which means that anything that opposes that claim or contradicts cannot be equally true. You can't say J is inside and J is outside and have them both be true. Unless I guess I stood in the doorway, but that's splitting stairs. Anyway, (laughs) so if the Bible is true, it's reasonable to claim that the Bible is true in a way that excludes other statements. Examining the Bible in the same way we would examine any other text, we can confidently say, in fact, it is true. The Bible makes claims based on historic fact, eyewitness accounts, connects belief to visible evidence, and ties biblical ideas to the observable world. As we learned a few weeks ago, Jesus overtly claimed to represent an an exclusive truth. We concluded at that time that he was not a lunatic and he is not a liar. Jesus is God. So the Bible is clearly meant to be interpreted as true, not just a bunch of stories, correct? And it's exclusively true because there can only be one truth. If we look at the Bible and study it, and this could take many, many sermons if we were to do this in detail, but we can check biblical claims against verifiable truth. And wherever we do so, the Bible proves itself is accurate. If you look at history, you look at extra-biblical sources, you look at fulfilled prophecy, you look at archaeology, you look at science, you look at philosophy, all these studies, and many people have looked, show that Scripture to be factual and consistent. So, with this combination of internal consistency, I know I'm using a lot of words here, connection to evidence, relevance to our experience, makes the Bible unique when we compare it to other books. There are other religious texts that claim to be true as well. But unlike these other books, the Bible can support that claim with lots and lots of evidence. If we look at the verse from the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, what does Scripture say about what happens after you die? We've heard the world's perspective. There's not really a consensus there, but it sounds like if you're a good person, that'll work for you. We know that's not true. We know that for the believer in Jesus Christ, when you die, your soul is taken to heaven. The body remains in the grave sleeping, and at the resurrection... The physical body is resurrected, glorified, and reunited with the soul and will live for eternity in the new heavens and new earth in the presence of God. We also know from the Bible that for those who do not receive Jesus Christ as Savior, that death means everlasting punishment. Revelation 20 
describes the unbelieving dead being resurrected, judged, and then cast into a lake of fire. What about all the good stuff we did? Doesn't that count? Won't that get us into heaven? Scripture says in Isaiah 64, 6, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts, all the things we try to do that are good, are like filthy rags before a perfect and holy God. The Bible tells us we're not good enough. Our deeds are not good enough. You're all familiar with a verse um, from Ephesians 2.8, and this is the amplified version. For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you've been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but is the undeserved, gracious gift of God. Amen. So, good people don't go to heaven? No, the Bible says that they don't. The Bible says the road is narrow to heaven. It's not the default. Anyone who doesn't have a personal saving relationship with our Lord Jesus, whether we would consider them good or not, is not going to heaven. Isn't that exclusive? Well, actually it is. It is very exclusive, but it's also available to anyone who believes. So it's actually really inclusive. There's only one way to heaven. That's God's way. Why is that, you might ask? Because heaven is God's. He created heaven and earth. He created you and me and everything else. If you choose not to believe that, is that going to change the truth? I don't think so. There is no heaven without God. Heaven is being in the presence of God. So why would there or should there be another way? In fact, you might ask yourself, why should there be a way at all? There is a way because God made a way. Because of his unfathomable grace, there is a way. And that is the only way and the only reason. Heaven is all about being with God. It's not just a great place where you can hang out and have good stuff and enjoy what's going on. Heaven, again, means being in God's physical presence, wherever he is. Many people will try to find an alternate route to God. They'll try to get there through man-made rules and regulations, through false religion, or through just pure effort. Lots of good deeds. We know that entering the narrow road is not easy. Entering the narrow road is difficult because of the opposition of pride, probably one of the biggest oppositions, our love of sin, and the opposition that we get from spiritual powers, Satan, and so on. We must believe in Jesus, and we can enter the narrow road. We shouldn't just stand there and look at it and think about it and complain, oh, that's too narrow or too small or, or too exclusive. We're not there to ask why others aren't able to enter. It's not really our job to make excuses or delay. As Christians, 
we, just, we should strive forward, enter, be on the path, and then do whatever we can to direct, love, and pray others to enter that same road before it's too late. Let's review here for a second. Who can get us to heaven? Buddha can't get you there. Krishna can't get you there. Muhammad can't get you there. The Pope can't get you there. Mary Baker Eddy can't get you there. Confucius can't get you there. Joseph Smith can't get you there. The Dalai Lama can't get you there. And Oprah can't get you there. The list goes on and on. Only Jesus Christ can get you to heaven. And if you don't go there, no matter which of these other people I've mentioned or some other one that you may have invented, you put your faith in, the Bible says you're going to end up in the lake of fire for eternity. That is the truth. Unfortunately, people want the gifts of God without God. They want his gifts and blessings, but they don't want him. Or some people say they want the gifts without the giver. We understand that during this age, God gives his blessings and his grace to those that know him and to those that don't. It's not always going to be that way. Matthew 5.45 says, He, God, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. But we are in the time period called the dispensation of grace, where everybody gets grace. But a time is coming when there will be judgment. And that will be the time that determines where we'll spend our eternity. When judgment comes, there will no longer be grace for those who have chosen not to be with him. There will be no chance to change your mind then. Many people don't want to believe this. It can't be true. It's not fair. How can a loving God send someone to hell? A loving God provides a way at great personal cost. Jesus died and suffered, as you all know. If you choose not to be with God, you choose hell. There is no third option. What did Jesus mean when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Well, on the last night before his betrayal and death, Jesus was preparing his disciples for some difficult times ahead. In John 13, he said, My children, I will be with you a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where you're going, I cannot come. Where I am going, you can't follow now, but you will follow later. He began speaking more plainly about heaven, describing the place he was going to prepare for them. And he said, you know the way to the place where I'm going. They said they didn't know where he was going. So how would they know to follow him there? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Incidentally, I think that's about my favorite verse. I am, he said, I am. These are the words that reflect the very name of God in Hebrew, Yahweh. It means to be, you're the self-existing one. There are many examples of where God said, I am, in the Old Testament. It is a name of power and authority, and Jesus wholeheartedly claimed it. 
the way. We've already talked about this. Jesus is the only way. The way is a path or a route. There is only one way. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by, what, by which we must be saved. Jesus is the truth. He's the only truth. The incarnate word of God. And he is the source of all truth. And the life. Jesus was claiming to be the source of all life. Jesus declared that he was going to lay down his life for his sheep and then take it back again. He spoke of his authority over life and death as being granted to him by the Father. He gave the promise that because I live, you will also live. True deliverance from a life of bondage to sin and death to a life of freedom in eternity. Jesus was declaring himself the great I am, the only path to heaven, the only true measure of righteousness, and the source of life. He was staking his claim as the very God of creation, the Lord who blessed Abraham and the Holy One of eternity. Why was Jesus the only way? Well, Jesus was chosen by God to be the Savior. Jesus is the only one who's ever come down from heaven and returned there. He's the only person to have lived a perfect, human, sinless life. He's the only sacrifice for sin. He alone fulfilled the laws and the prophets. He's the only man who has conquered death. He's the only mediator between God and man. And he is the only man whom God has exalted to the highest place at God's right hand. So, if you understand this, the obvious question is, how do I guarantee my eternal destination in heaven? Let's remember that we don't know the day that we're going to die. It may come sooner than we think. We need to understand that not everyone is going to heaven. I understand this is not politically correct. There are many who think that they can have heaven without having Jesus. We saw a Saul sample in our video. They want the glory, but they don't want to be bothered by the cross. Jesus warns us that there's no other path. And the consequences is an eternity of suffering. He told us that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son as God's wrath remains on him. Again, some will argue that this is narrow-minded. In light of mankind's rebellion against God, it's extremely broad-minded for him to provide any way. We deserve judgment, and God gives us grace. It's true today, we can listen to what we want. We can find what we want to hear. If we turn to the right channel or go to the right church, we'll be able to find a watered-down gospel. We can hear a loving God, but a non-judgmental God. But remember, our God is not only loving, but he's just. There will be consequences. We have to make a decision. Remember, God does not send anyone to hell 
God loves us so much, he lets us choose. If you choose not God, you choose hell. But it's your choice, not his. He's done everything he can to chase after us. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in God's one and only Son. As I did this message, it struck me. Fifteen years ago, before I gave my heart to God, if I had died... I would have gone to hell. I know that at some point in your lives, that would have been true for each and every one of you because we're not born knowing God. There's a time where we have to make a decision. That is a bit of a difficult pill to swallow. We all have friends. We have family members. We have people we don't know. We have people we like. We have people we don't like. There are people around the world, if I look at the news, or there's, there's sin everywhere. We know, as followers of Christ... We may, well, no, we're more attuned to sin. Not maybe, we are more attuned to sin. But even sinners, us, deserve God's grace. We are not granted the choice to decide who is worthy of hearing about God and who is not. I think that's really hard. God loves murderers. God loves rapists. God loves people that I find really hard to love. But he still loves them. There's lots of examples in the Bible where Jesus looked at people that sinned. Actually, we had a great one last week. The woman caught in adultery. Clearly a sin. In the Old Testament, she got stoned, right? She would have been. And that's what they were talking about. How do we look on someone nowadays that commits adultery? Not with favor, but is that really our decision? I would say no. Jesus gave us the example. We look at her with grace. And so as hard as it is, God puts the burden on people like us that know and love him to give grace to people that don't really seem like they should deserve it. But we didn't deserve it. So we need to learn to look past other people's sins People in prison, people with alternative lifestyles, people with bad decisions, people that hurt us, even hurt people that we love. 
And I can tell you we've been through some of that. We need to learn like Jesus did. To love those people. Because attorney in hell with no parole, nobody should be there. And if we can make the difference between helping someone get to heaven and helping someone get to hell, as hard as that may be, I think Jesus calls us to do that. I don't always know how to do that. We know as new and exciting Christians, we're bold and we run right up to people and say, you're wrong, you're going the wrong way. You, you know, people don't respond well to that. I think Jesus gave us a great example of loving people despite their sin. No matter how abhorrent it is that we can love someone and show them grace like he did, like our example, and love them into the kingdom. I think that's our responsibility. My paraphrase for that is, with our love, I stole this off a t-shirt, we catch them, God cleans them. And I bet each and every one of you in here have friends that can't believe they got saved by God because of the way they used to live or what they used to do or Praise God for His grace. So in conclusion, faith in Jesus is the one and only way of getting to heaven. First, ask yourself, do I know the way? Do I trust in Jesus? I think for most of you, probably all of you, the answer is yes. The next step is, is who am I helping to know the way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you have. The undeserved, unmerited favor that you show us. We are not worthy, yet we are so loved. You paid the ultimate price for us Jesus forgave the people that were nailing him to a cross. That were spitting on him and insulting him. And he is our example. Can we do any less? Lord, we thank you for the love that we have. Please give us peace, give us strength, give us courage, give us direction, Lord. And above all, give us opportunity. Show us where you're working, Lord that we can be part of your plan, that we can glorify you with a love that just doesn't make any sense. We praise you and thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.